grandchildren that he has given me. I appreciate him keeping his daughter in the same city, on the same street, about eight houses down. Thank you. That's, that's a blessing. Come on, dads. That's a blessing. Amen. I get to see my grandchildren. I got a key to their house. Thank you for that. I got a garage door button. I can open the garage anytime I want. Thank you for that. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. He's better than good. I get to go over and see them babies anytime I want, then leave anytime I want. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. God is a good God. I appreciate Brother John Brown and his growth in the Lord. I'm believing that God has given him something, and I want it. I said, I want it. More than that, I'm going to receive it. Come on and preach to us today. The Lord bless Brother John Brown. Thank you, sir. Oh, can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning? Can we just give God some recognition and about every accolade and all his goodness and his grace? Can we stand to our feet and begin to make a noise into this atmosphere? Can we begin to saturate this atmosphere with the praise to the ancient of days? Amen. If God has been good, can we let the devil know who we are here this morning? Amen. It always started with a sound before God moved. At the tabernacle in the temple, it wasn't just the construction. It's when the people shouted and praised God that the Shekinah and the glory of God came. It was a sound. It was a shout. It was a shofar. And then came the glory of God in such a way that the ministers could not even minister. They couldn't even stand. The walls of Jericho fell with a sound. Amen. The Holy Ghost came on the day of Pentecost. Ten days of the apostles uh, waiting and the disciples waiting for the promise of the Father. It came with a sound. Uh, can somebody give God a shout of praise here today? Can somebody give a war cry uh, in the house today? Uh, of somebody that knows uh, that our God is our man of war. Amen. I'm speaking to life uh, that a chain will be broken here this morning. I'm speaking to life that the strongholds uh, will begin to crumble in the name, an omnipotent name of God today. Shout out to God uh, with a sound of praise. Amen. The speed of sound is 767 miles an hour. Let it be 60, 600 uh, or 767 miles an hour of praise today. Amen. Is anybody excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? I know they've been working with the sound system. I hope it sounds good out there. Amen. I give glory to the Lord, my God, here today. Amen. My wife and I have endured a lot this last year. We have had loss in the family. But there's one thing that God has proven himself. What was true in the lights is true in the dark, that he is good and he is kind and he cares for our hearts. And I appreciate God. No matter if we lose or we gain, blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. He is worthy. And I hope that resonates to somebody that is dwelling and inhabiting the dark places of our lives and the dark places of our world, that God still cares for you in the midst of the darkness. Rejoice not against me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, my God shall be a light unto me. Amen. I give honor to our bishop, 
this morning and every state elder and every pastor and every minister and every laity. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. We are a collective of apostolics. Amen. We are a few. We have become a spiritual minority. And I am proud to be that spiritual minority in a world that is postmodernistic. I believe in the one true God of Israel. And Jesus is his name. Amen. I'm going to be reading in the book of Exodus chapter 3 verse 7. Very familiar scripture. Amen. I'll give you time to go to that particular chapter and verse. And I know this is a particular verse that we all pray that God answers. That we all pray and we long for and we're desperate for God to resonate this in our hearts. Exodus chapter 3 verse 7. The Lord speaking to Moses on the backside of the wilderness in that theophany, that manifestation of God in the burning bush. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. And I've heard the cry of their reason by the taskmasters for I know their sorrow. God is speaking to you today that he has seen your affliction, your heartache, and your struggles, the trial and the tribulations that you are enduring. Some of us here tonight, or excuse me, this morning, are feeling that there's no reason to go on. You are at the point of quitting, but failure is not an option. Amen. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer this morning. If we could close our eyes and lift our hands. And we just begin to lift our voice right now. You've been born again of water and of spirit. And I believe in the power of prayer. Right now, begin to lift your voice to your God. Begin to speak out to him for your own personal struggle, your own personal depression, your own personal oppression, and the afflictions that have fallen apart in you. Begin to lift your voice in the faith that God will begin to break it right here and right now in his name. Begin to lift your voice that you believe that God is a God of peace, that God is a God of rest. And a God is a God of countless second chances. Lord God of Jacob, we thank you, God, for the opportunity to be in your house. We thank you, Lord, for another privilege to know your word, that we are apostolic, God. We thank you for the blessings that will begin to infuse into this atmosphere. We thank you for every chain that will begin to break and every stronghold and that individual that will be healed and that individual that will be delivered here in the name of Jesus. Lord God, begin to invade this atmosphere right now. Lord, hear our praises. Hear our prayers. Hear our supplication. Allow it to be an altar of incense. Uh, Lord, receive it here this morning in Jesus' name. Can somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise here this morning? Oh, can somebody shout with a voice uh, that is determined uh, to fight the good fight of faith today? Amen. You may be seated. This morning, I like to preach this particular thought, the letter. Man, that is a skill set that is quickly disappearing. Being a classroom teacher, and we see the writing of students, man, it becomes text messages and emails and, and digital communication and, and relying, or relaying information, but it is lacking the personal intimacy of writing a letter. I mean, I answer 10,000 emails a day. I am a campus technology camp te campus technologist, and I'm telling you, I get the, the emails daily, the text messages daily, the communication apps daily, and I'm telling you, it is lacking the intimacy of a letter. It is a skill set and a knowledge 
and an experience that many of our young people and youth and even young adults and millennials and Generation Xers are completely missing out on the intimacy of a letter. I remember sitting in the sands of Iraq, sitting away from my home and lonely, but the moment I got a letter and I opened up and it was from somebody that loved me and it was to... Uh, confirm and to affirm the things that I was, I was losing and the things that I lost and the pain that I was going through. When somebody writes you a letter and you are reading it and it is from the heart, because when somebody has to physically ride with that, write with that calligraphy, it is a dictation of love. And some of us here today are longing for a dictation of love from your master. You were longing for a letter from God, and it is in 66 books, amen, in two testaments, and God is writing his letter to you. But we're going to be talking about your letter. Some of you don't, I'm not talking about the physical letter. I'm not talking about an audible letter. I'm talking about a letter from your heart. Because every day that we begin to speak to God, every moment we begin to speak to God, our heart is longing for our master. Our heart is longing for our creator. And our heart is beginning to pin and write down dictations of love, dictations of desperation, dictations of pain. And we're longing for somebody to read our letter. We put it out there. Will somebody answer my letter? I remember a time that I was in the darkest place in my first deployment to Iraq. In the middle of the invasion of Iraq and the death and the destruction, the loss that I endured, the things that I endured. And I reminded, remi remember writing a letter to my mother and she said that it was one of the darkest letters uh, that she has ever written me. But she just wrote a letter back and said, son, I love you. You're going to be able to get through there. But some of you are in the darkest place writing your letter in the middle of your spiritual foxhole with your weapon that feels like that has no uh, sharpness anymore. Your whole armor of God that has been beaten down. And you're saying, well, somebody answer my letter. I sense pastors and ministers that are in your own enclaves in your own cities throughout Texas and Missouri and Tennessee and Mississippi and the various places, how you are a standalone forward operating base in such a secular society, a society that's feel, that feelings are more important than facts. Facts don't care about feelings. They're facts. The word of God is facts. Amen. I remember... I remember hearing from a, a liberal House of Representative that said hearsay is more important than facts. That is a demonstration of our society. That is insane. Facts is always over feelings. Objective is always over subjective. Amen. And you are the fact bearers as the various ministers in your place. But you feel alone and your heart is writing. Does anybody receive my letter? Has anybody received the dictation of desperation? I'm all alone. I'm sitting in this dark place and I'm writing a letter. Will somebody receive it? Is it in a post office? Will somebody receive my letter here today? I've tried to share it with my pastor and he has said his kind words, but I need something a little bit deeper from God. I've tried to put it out to my family, but they don't understand because they're not living for God. Amen. They'll never understand until they surrender to God. It is only God that begins to receive store things. I'm speaking to the seasoned uh, uh, pastors here today. I'm speaking to the veterans that have had a multiple war deployments spiritually and you've endured many things and you're saying, God, will you receive my letter? Amen. Jesus, Jesus. I'm going to read you an incredibly famous letter here today. It is 
The most famous letter in all of Texas. You are in Texas today, so you are going to be receiving a little bit of Texas history. Amen. <clears throat> to the commander of the Alamo, Behar, February 24th, 1836. To the people of Texas and all Americans in the world, fellow citizens and compatriots. I like that word. We are to be patriotic, not just for our country, but patriotic for the things of God and the word of God. We're sitting in a society where you're, get, you're given a label if you are a patriot for the things of God. And you're giving a label of discriminatory things if you are a patriot for the things of God. But I'm proud to be a patriot for the things of God and the word of God. Amen. Said fellow citizens and compatriots, I am besieged by a thousand or more of the Mexicans under Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana. I have sustained continuum bombardments and cannonade for 24 hours and not lost a single man. How many pastors feel that? Every night when that phone goes off from the laity, the ministry, the deacons, bombardment and cannon fire for 24 hours straight. The enemy has demanded surrender at discretion. Otherwise, the garrison, the garrison will be put to sword. If the fort is taken, I have answered the demand to my enemy with a cannon shot. That's pretty epic. Amen. Our flag still waves proudly from the walls. The enemy has told you in Mississippi, in your small towns of Texas, your small towns of Arkansas, I want you to go ahead and surrender or this church will be put to the sword. And God is requiring of you to answer with a cannon, amen, to answer with a shout, to answer with praise, to answer with worship, to answer with praise, no matter the circumstance. And your standard, which is that flag, which is the word of God, still waves proudly from the walls of your church. I shall never surrender. I shall never retreat. Then I call you in the name of liberty and patriotism and everything dear to the American character to come to our aid with all dispatch. The enemy is receiving reinforcements daily and will no doubt increase to three or four thousand in four to five days. If this call is neglected, I am determined to sustain myself as long as possible and die like a soldier who never forgets what is due his own honor and that of his country. Victory or death. Signed, William Barrett Travis, Lieutenant Colonel Commanding. P.S. And only if our politicians in Washington would have this particular statement. It says, P.S. from Lieutenant Colonel Travis. It says, the Lord is on our side. I'm telling you, our government and all its partisanship and all the insanity in Washington, D.C., if they would just say that the Lord is on my side, when the enemy appeared in sight, we have not three bushels of corn. We have since found in a deserted house 80 or 90 bushels, and I got into the walls 30 or 20 head of beeves, which is beef. Amen. Signed, Colonel Travis. Amen. I know it is a history, it is a nice foundation, and then where you're going to build up from this particular place. The Alamo is one of the most famous battles in the Texas Revolution, and there's a lot of history and a lot of building up to it. It really was the fourth battle in the Texas Revolution, and what really started it is that Santa Ana and the Mexican government at that particular time was a self-described dictator. He was a self-described totalitarian 
He was the one that was harsh on his people. He was harsh on every citizen in Mexico. He was harsh on every colonist in Texas. If you even for the moment begin to oppose his dictatorship, he would burn down your village and pillage your village and other atrocities. And it was a time where the Tejanos, those Mexicans born in Texas, and the Texians, those that immigrated to Texas like David Crockett, William B. Travis, and Jim Bowie, and all these various individuals, they said, we're not going to go ahead and just bend over anymore. We are going to begin to fight. We're going to begin to resist the oppression. And we allow spirits into our church. Yes, sir. They burn down our children. That's right. They burn down and pillage our young people. It even happens within our own household that we allow various spirits of the age and spirits of society begin to infiltrate our very kitchens and living rooms and bedrooms. Because what we allow... But God is looking for somebody to make a stand against oppression. God is looking for somebody that is not going to go ahead and take it and make a stand against the intimidation factor of this of various spirits uh, and the kingdom of hell. God is looking for somebody to make a stand. As Brother Luna talked about, we have many apostolics that are just compromising. They're beginning to blow with the wind of change. But God is looking for somebody to root down in his word and to make a stand. For somebody to start a revolution when it comes to this apostolic faith. We have democratic socialists and Marxists and communists uh, that are calling for revolution in this American society. But I'm here to tell you, a real revolution is when we begin to preach the word of God and we stand on his precept upon precept, line upon line. I am not going to fight. Victory or not going to quit but fight. Victory or death. Can somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise here this morning? I'm looking for a battle cry. I'm looking for a war cry. I remember every time that I left a wire in Iraq, every time I locked and loaded, every time I was rolling out in my gun truck, there was a big sign that said complacency kills. Complacency is going with the assumption that it's going to be the very same scenario, very same routine. And that is the moment that the enemy comes in and attacks you. That is the moment that the enemy ambushes you in a particular situation. And God is telling his apostolic church that complacency kills. It takes one moment of complacency to lead to a lifetime of regret. Amen. Going back to the Alamo, 180 Texians and Teanos were holding a fort in the middle of San Antonio, Bejar. You had 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, up to, in some cases, 5,000 Mexican soldiers ready to take out the Texians. And William B. Travis, one day, From 23 February to 6 March was the siege, 13 days. And he knew that he had to write these letters out and get them out to the couriers asking for help. He sent them out to various senators and House of Representatives and to the various colonels and officers throughout Texas. He sent them out. He sent out many famous couriers at the time saying, we need help at the Alamo. Will somebody come help me in this siege? I have a copy of the Travis letter in my study. And man, it is written in this portrait mode, excuse me, this landscape. And you can see the desperation in his writing. He didn't take his time. He wasn't taking a star test. He was just writing it. And there was lines 
and it was crooked because he knew that he had moments before his imminent demise. He had moments before they were taken out. And I'm wondering what the letters of our heart look like. It is letters of desperation. You see in the letter from William B. Travis how it is a dictation of desperation. Will somebody come help me? I've got to get it out. And there are pastors and ministers and laity and seasoned saints and veterans that are just writing out these letters, hoping for somebody to come help, hoping for somebody to come pray, hoping for somebody to come and rescue them. As time progressed in the siege of the Alamo, nobody came except 32 Texas Rangers. That's it. A letter reached Sam Houston, who would who was the general of the Texas Army, who would become the first president of the Republic of Texas. He said, I can't answer the call right now. I'm building an army. A letter reached Colonel Fanning at Goliad, which is 75 miles southeast of the Alamo, which unfortunately had their own problems in the revolution. He said, I can't do it right now. I've got my own problems. He went out to the the letters, reached the senators and the representatives in America and the various colonels, and they said, I'm sorry. We can't help right now. How many pastors feel like that? How many pastors have desperately written a call in their letter? Nobody came. Except 32 Texas Rangers that said, these are my brothers in arms. And they rode through the lines of 4,000. 32 Texas Rangers. And they went and died at the Alamo. They were called the Immortal 32 because of that. And we know the story. March 6, 1836, at 5.30 in the morning, that 4,000 Mexican soldiers came on the Alamo and 189 to 190 held it for 90 minutes. That's pretty good for 190 fighting against 4,000. Doesn't it feel like us with the apostolics, with the liberal churches, the charismatic churches, the Trinitarian churches, just a few holding the line no matter what. And we know that they gave up their lives for their cause and their belief. Are we willing to do that for the cause of Christ? We can't surrender. Victory or death to the end. And many of us feel that I'm just going to walk out with the white flag and give up this faith because of the oppression. And what my family has said Going with Brother Luna said, it says in Matthew 12, this just came to my heart. Jesus, because I'm endured and I'm a first generation apostolic and may I dare say I'm the only apostolic in my family. And that pretty much true, Pastor. I've had it. I've been blamed for their heartache. I've been there because you make a stand against the things of this world. And I remember what Matthew 12, Jesus was preaching to his disciples and to all the followers and those in his audience. He's preaching. He's going at it. And some of his disciples say, hey, Jesus, your mother and your brethren, they want to talk to you. He said, who is my brethren? Who is my mother? Who is my brethren? And then he looks out at all these disciples and he says, whosoever does the will of my father, this is my mother. This is my brethren. And that's how I esteem you as this church. Amen. That's how I esteem you as this organization. We need to pray together, fight together, unify together in unification. 
within this organization if we want to fight, if we want to survive, if we want to endure. Amen. We are much like the Travis letters. Our churches today are dealing with postmodernism. Bishop, as you said, what postmodernism today comes from really Marxism and socialism and communism. There are no absolutes. You could be whatever you want. Feelings over facts. I could feel like a cat. I could dress like a cat. I could meow like a cat, get a surgery to look like a cat, but I'm still a human being. Facts supersede feelings every time. Secularism, agnostic, pluralism, deism, atheist. This is what you have to endure in the churches. Lukewarmness, liberalism. That is what you are enduring. Amen. Pastors and ministers today have to endure character assassination. As if we are in the House of Representatives in the middle of an impeachment inquiry. Pastors, there's... There's saints, there's laity, there's ministers, there's pastors upon, among pastors with character assassination as if I am sitting in the Congress of the United States of America. Unity is what brings a church together. We are one body of one spirit with one hope that we are called to. We must unify to come to the perfection of Christ. And usually it's, do you know what I've heard? I'm a former military police officer. Just the facts. Facts supersede feelings and assumptions. Amen. I'm going to get off that soapbox for a sec. Some of us here are just enduring so much. You've endured for so long. And the letter of your heart has gone out. God, will you answer? Is there another pastor that can help me? Another minister? Another brother in arm? Another sister in arm. Is there somebody that is willing to help me out with this letter? We read in the book of Exodus, we come to Moses, that it's finally after 415 to 420 years, depending on what theologian you talk to, 400 years of bondage, 400 years being alone, but being promised that God is still God, 400 years of being in a foreign land that was never their land, never intended to be their land. Now, we knew that Abraham was foretold. It was foreshadowed when the promise went to Abraham in the book of Genesis that the children of Israel would have to endure 400 years. They knew it was coming. Can you imagine how they felt under the taskmasters? They are the people of the living God, but they were under the taskmasters of this pagan Egyptian culture, being beaten, being starved, being subjugating, being used. How many here this morning feel that within themselves and enduring that within themselves that they feel that they are just under their taskmaster? But I'm here to tell you that God has gotten your letter. It may have taken 400 years, four months, four weeks, four days, whatever the duration, but God is a God that has gotten your letter and he is your counselor and your comfort. He is your prince of peace. My God, according to the book of Exodus, is my man of war. He is the one that fights for me. But we've endured our loneliness for so long. That's right. One body of one spirit with one hope that we are called to. First Kings chapter 19, I'm just going to paraphrase it. We have Elijah who just called down fire on Mount Carmel, Pastor. Right. 450 prophets of Baal were killed in the name of Yahweh, in the name of Jesus, in the name of the God of Israel. Amen. And so... Elijah had just saw 
this great mighty move of God. That God was a God that answered by fire. But shortly afterwards, the enemy came through. Jezebel sent her letter. I know what you've done, Elijah. Isn't that how the enemy is? You have such a great prayer revival. You have visitors. You have breakthrough. You have people born again of water and of spirit. But you received that letter from a Jezebel. I know what you did, Elijah. And I'm going to come and kill you. See, Elijah should have been confident. But I'm not in his shoes. But he just saw fire cook an entire altar and obliterate the summit of Mount Carmel. I remember being in Israel and visiting Mount Carmel. I kept asking all the tour guides, where is the singe spot? I wanted to see where everything was cooked. And they just laughed at me. I said, okay, that's right over here. We'll just pretend. It's right over here. But Elijah saw fire come from heaven and prove who the God that answered by fire was, who the God of Israel was. But a letter, pastors, ministry, laity, a letter from the enemy whispering in your ear. Yes. And that enemy took its time writing this letter in the most beautiful of calligraphy. And Jezebel said, I'm coming to kill you. And Elijah ran. He went all the way back to the Sinai, went to Mount Horeb, which is Mount Sinai. And he went back to the beginning where it all started. Do we feel like that sometimes where we go back? Instead of progress, we go back. And he hid in a cave. Before that, he said, I'm just going to go ahead and die. God just did this great feat to prove and determine who he was. But he said, I'm going to die. And he hid in this cave. And God got his letter. Just like many of our pastors and our ministers and our laity and the saints and the children of the Most High, we hide and dwell in a cave that we That's were never right. meant to be in. That's right. God called the people away from that mountain. But we go back to our mountain. Sometimes we got to go back to remembrance, so there's that. But he was never meant to be in that place. And so God got his letter. I said, Elijah, let me, allow me to paraphrase. What are you doing here? Yeah. I made you. And there's still 7,000 that have not kneeled before Baal. Go ahead and step out. So Elijah took his talit, his prayer shawl, his mantle, and he wrapped it around his face. And God showed an earthquake and a fire and a wind. And all these destructive forces, but God was not in it. That's right. God was in a still small voice. And Elijah said, I understand that you are with me. And after that, he called down fire and cooked several soldiers. But God is telling you that he has received your letter and that you were never meant to reside in your cave for this duration. But the cave is comfortable. Come out. I made you. I called you for a purpose. I called you for a mission. Amen. Second Kings, the successor to Elijah, Elisha and his servant were in a particular city, city ministering. And of course, Israel like most times, we're at war. And the Assyrians came in, and they put the entire city to siege. And a siege is one of the greatest battle tactics going even today. When you surround a particular base, you surround a particular city, you just starve out your enemy. Can you imagine what that does to the enemy psychologically? They can't get food, they can't get supplies, and they know that their time is coming, much like the Alamo. And that's where many of our churches are. Just sitting in siege. 
And the enemy is throwing propaganda over the wall to surrender or die. But there are more. There's so many against us. Other churches, other apostolics, this modern society, this very liberal society that we're becoming and we're enduring it. But God is saying, open the eyes of my child. As Elisha told his servant, Elijah wasn't worried because he got God's letter. He said, open the eyes of my servant, Lord. That's right. And he looked to the hills where his help come from, and he saw a hillside, all the ridge filled with, in Hebrew, Merkavah. Merkavah means chariots of fire. Angel armies. And God is saying, I got your letter. Open the eyes of my child. There are more for us than those that are against us. Amen. Last historical example. If you guys can tell, I'm a little bit of a history nut. I really like history. Amen. Especially biblical history. Yom Kippur War in 1973. Right? We had the Six-Day War in Israel. In Israel, the Yom Kippur War, which is the Day of Atonement, uh, going back to the Day of the Temple. In 1973, Iraq, Syria, and Egypt invaded Israel to a place that they were not prepared for the invasion. We always have to be prepared for a, a spiritual invasion. We always have to be prepared for the enemy to invade us. And it wasn't good. Israel was losing. It even took President Nixon to send weapons and military support to go help. But at this particular time, we, we had Egypt from the south and Syria from the north, and they were pinching Israel, and they almost got to Tel Aviv. They were taking one settlement after settlement. They were taking what was God's country. Amen. And God intervened with it. But there was a story that goes on the Arab side, and there's a story that goes on the Israeli side, and there's a story that even goes on every tank uh, commander's tactician history manual that goes with it as well. The story goes that sitting out in uh, the Golan Heights, right in the Syria area, there was one lonely Israeli tank. you got to understand, they didn't have a lot of tanks. They didn't have a lot of soldiers. They were just down to a few. And Israel is used to fighting against the odds because they know that God is with them. We have to be used to fighting against the odds. Amen. And so this one tank was given orders. You're going to stay on this ridge and you're going to hold this ridge. And so it was one tank crew. They woke up this morning and they saw an entire battalion of Syrian tanks below them. And Israel was like, well, this is what we do. We're going to go out and we're going to fight. And we're just going to go out fighting. Even if we burn up, I'm going to fight for Israel. I'm going to fight for what I believe in. And so they said, okay, shalom. And so they started loading up their tanks. Their one tank against hundreds of tanks in the valley. And they just started firing on the tanks. They were able to take out a few and they were out of ammo. And then the tanks all stopped. And then they saw one white flag come up from one of the tanks. So the Israeli tank and the crew said, well, let's just go see what's happening. So they go down carefully to the ridge and they pretend they're armed because they're out of ammo. They're holding guns like they have ammo, but they've used it all up. And the Syrian commander gets out and he says, we, we surrender. And the Israeli tank says, okay. And then all of them are coming out. We surrender. We surrender to your tank and the hundreds of tanks that we saw on the ridge. What can God do for you? 
God has received your letter. God allowed this enemy to see hundreds of tanks when it was just one tank. Can we stand to our feet here this morning as my wife comes to the piano? Can we begin to lift our voice? God, I pray right now, Lord God, that you just begin to break those chains. God, I know that you received the letter, oh God, from our hearts, a heart of desperation. These altars are open. If you need prayer, come on, begin to lift your voice before God right now. If we want things to change, we've got to begin to make a sound. Amen. I'm not going to let another moment go by in the same state that I found myself. I want a breakthrough. God, begin right now to infuse into this atmosphere. God, begin to move into the hearts of your people. Begin to move into every chamber of every heart, God. Lord, let it be power, love, and a sound mind in the name of Jesus. Lord, we take a authority God over this atmosphere every spirit of doubt uh, every distracting spirit uh, every spirit of oppression uh, we bind it in the name of Jesus uh, power love and a sound mind uh, I speak into the atmosphere peace uh, I speak into the atmosphere love uh, I speak into the atmosphere a reassurance in your name come on children of the most high uh, let it be like the temple begin to lift your voice uh, and let God come God descend like a fire God descend like the wind God begin to reign into this place Oh God of Jacob Oh God of Israel Come glory of Jesus Come glory of God Come love of the God of Israel Some of you have endured And don't be comfortable In the places that you've been God wants to break open some things God wants to reassure you God begin right now Lord to envelop them in the shadow of your wings. God, get us out of our own rationalization. God, get us out of our own mind. God, get us out of our education and our own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not on thy understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. And then came a sound, and then came a sound, and then came a sound, and then came a sound. Somebody shot down the walls of your Jericho, because your blessings are in the side. The Philistines and the children of Canaan have held it too long. My blessing, my purpose, my anointing, my ministry, my calling. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for the love. Come on, let that fire begin to start right now. God consume us. Bo Ashalohim. Come fire of God. Bo Ashalohim. Come fire of God. God, let it be a breakthrough right now. I'm not moving from this place, God, until you change this place to Pinnell, where I've seen you face to face. God, I'm not moving from this place until you change my name. God, I will wrestle you till the breaking of day, until I get my name changed. Let me become an Israel. Let me become an Israel. God, even if you tap out my leg, I want to wrestle until you change my name. Come on, Jacob, wrestle at Bethel and change his location to Penel, where I've seen God face to face, and he has spared my life. Thank you, Brother Brown. Amen. Praise the Lord. Sing, daughter.
Oh, come on. Continue to pray. Lift your voice.
Praise the Lord, everyone. Thank you, Jesus, for your word today, for your presence, for your reassurance, for your touch. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Don't forget service tonight at 6, if I'm not mistaken. You can come just a little bit early and pray. And so board meeting, general board right over here, right after this particular service and then the ladies I believe are meeting in here and so beautiful last night beautiful this morning looking if God tarries for a beautiful time this evening as well amen the Lord bless you the Lord keep you the Lord undergird you the Lord shine his face upon you the Lord always go before you you're dismissed in the name of Jesus Amen.